Thank you. So pull your notes out if you don't already have them out. Uh, one of my favorite movies ever is The Book of Eli. It stars uh, Denzel Washington and Mila Kunis and Gary Oldman. And if you don't know the plot, uh, I'll tell you just a little bit because you should go watch that movie. It's a really, really good movie. And uh, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic, desolate land. The world is completely destroyed. It's as if it's been reset. Um, very few of the things that exist still exist. Gary Oldman, who plays the villain in the movie, is trying to get his hands on a Bible because he understands the power of the words in that book. He understands that the man who possesses those words can possess the hearts and minds of humanity. It's Eli, Denzel Washington's character, that actually possesses a copy of the Bible that he doesn't just own, but he reads every day, he studies, he takes it in and he even memorizes it. And so he has a peek into the mind of God, something nobody at that time would have. Now, I won't tell you more about it because you should go watch it, but I want you to now put yourself in a world. And it's not post-apocalyptic, it's just at a time when Men would use the instruction of Moses and the writing of the prophets and they would manipulate it and twist it and they would weaponize it so that they could control people, so that they could beat up on people, so that they could steer people and guide people to do what they wanted and they represented who God was through their handling of scripture. But then a man comes along and he begins to talk about God in a way they've never heard before. They, he begins to speak about things they've never heard phrased that way. Talks about God's patient mercy when all of the religious leaders could only talk about God's wrath and punishment. They would talk about God's grace and forgiveness where others were pushing guilt and condemnation. They talked about, uh, he talked about gentle compassion when they had been portraying God as this distant, cold, and mean-spirited being. This man speaks about hope and healing for broken people when others had been just talking about people getting what they deserved. These words were not controlled by just a couple people, but they were out there in the ether for everyone to hear. And it was spreading like wildfire. Fire, and there were thousands upon thousands who wanted to hear more about God in a way they had never heard about him before. And so they were being heard and they were being repeated and they were being memorized because they were so transformationally different than anything they'd ever heard about God. And that's it. You've just heard how the church began. For centuries, religious leaders would use the Old Testament writings of the prophets and the laws of Moses to control and manipulate people and keep them distant from God so that they stood as a barrier between God and man and they could tell people what they needed to do in order to be close to God. God had finally had enough, and he sent his son to say things that had never been said before and to show them 
God in a way that they had never seen before. And that's what the early church did. Now listen, not with the epistles, which are the letters of Paul, not with the gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not with the Acts of the Apostle, the book we called Acts, not with the, uh, the apocalyptic writing of Revelation. They just had Jesus' words. So if they were a Christ follower for the first century of what we know as Christianity, they were a Christ follower because all they had was Jesus' words. Just what they heard from him. And many, many, many people believed in a God they had never even met. A Jesus they had never seen, but they had heard his words. And I will tell you, I've never had a personal face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, but when I was 12 years old, I cried out to him to come into my life and make me new. I wanted to be a Christ follower, and I was told you can know him by just reading the red. Back then, Bibles put Jesus' words in red. I've heard some of you say, I've gone through and started highlighting every word of Jesus because it's no longer printed in red, so I've highlighted it. I love that. But I do want to ask you a question. Why are you a Christ follower? If you claim to be a Christ follower today, why are you a Christ follower? Maybe a better way, maybe a, a, the correct way to answer, ask the question is, are you a Christ follower? I mean, we have the whole Bible and truthfully, the Old Testament is a predicate to the New Testament. And the New Testament is a lot of different books that maybe somehow in history, we've moved away more from the red and we've settled into those letters that Paul had to write the churches to really correct the church for the most part, instruct the church for the most part, to help them understand what they should be doing. But Paul, he did that based on the words of Jesus, but they weren't to the words of Jesus. I guess what I'm asking is, do you even know what Jesus has said? Do you know Jesus through his introduction? through who he is. I imagine if Jesus was here, this was a TED talk, and Jesus had on one of those, you know those ones you wear at family reunions where you haven't seen each other in 25 years or, or class reunions or something, and it says, hello, my name is, and it's just blank, and you write in your name with magic marker. And I, I would imagine Jesus here with his, hello, my name is Jesus. And if he only had a short time to speak, do you imagine that Jesus, knowing this brief moment in which he gets to influence the hearts and minds of those he's speaking to, what would he say? A lot of things that are important to talk about. Money's important, your family's important, the climate of the world, the, the tone of politics, what's happening in schools. It's, there's a level of importance to all of it, but Jesus would say what was important to him. And if you believed that Jesus was on any level who he said he was, then what was important to him was the most important thing that you and I could ever hear. And here's the 
really, really, really awesome news is in the brief time Jesus had with us and spoke to us, someone took the time to remember it and write it down. As a matter of fact, there were multiple accounts. Different eyewitness views of what Jesus said and the lasting impact it had on people to the degree that they thought everyone needs to hear what he has to say. Pull out your notes. We know what was important to Jesus. We don't have to guess what was important to Jesus because he used his words to, number one, introduce us to his father. That is important for us because the Old Testament's a tricky set of books, tricky set of scripture. Here's why. People on both sides of their perspective on what the Old Testament is to do have made a lot of mistakes in handling what it is we do with the Old Testament. There's those that don't want it to go away because there's so many good things in there to beat each other up with. So many hammers that we can pull out of the Old Testament box of tools to just beat each other up. Plenty in there. That is what the religious leaders of Jesus' time were so angry at him for doing is it appeared as if he was not going to fall in line with weaponizing Old Testament scripture to control and beat up, abuse and manipulate people. But there were a group of them, too, that wanted Jesus to completely abolish the Old Testament so that they could be free of any restraints over their morality, their ethics, their behavior one to another. And Jesus wanted to do neither of those things. Listen to what he says in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Don't suppose for a minute I've come to demolish the scriptures. And all they had at that time was, again, the instructions of Moses, the writings of the prophet, and what we call the writings, which were things like uh, 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 poems, psalms, uh, the Proverbs. Either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to destroy those. I'm not here to demolish but to complete. I'm going to put it all together to pull it. Uh, I'm here to yeah, put it all together, pull it all together in a vast panorama God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after the stars burn out and the earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Here's what Jesus says is you've misunderstood it. Both of you have misunderstood it. One of you sees it as this, uh, this tool of God to abuse you and the others see it as uh, a, a man's permission to, but you misunderstand it completely. What I'm telling you is that it's never been complete. So what you've understood about God is not the full picture. He says, you've just gotten this little, this little, just this, this pinhole view of who God is. And I'm here to finish the painting and you're going to love it. You've only seen a demonstration of God because you've only seen the history of man's rebellion and man's frustrated effort to get back to God in his own righteousness. And I'm telling you, you've seen the worst of mankind and you've seen the worst of God. But I'm here to tell you something different. He wants to reintroduce us to a father we didn't know. One of his own disciples, Philip, asked, if you just show us the father, that's all we really want. Just show us the father. And here's how Jesus responded to him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. That's all we need. And Jesus answered, I've been with you a long time. 
Do you still not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen the Father, or whoever's seen me has seen the Father. So why do you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you don't come from me, but the Father who lives in me and does his own work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or believe because of the miracles that I've done. In other words, I couldn't have done those without the help of the Father. Jesus says, if you see my behavior, you've seen the behavior of the Father. You've misunderstood him all along. He's a mystery to you, but I'm telling you, if you've known me, you've known the Father. If you've seen compassion in me, that's what the Father is, compassionate. If you've seen grace in me, then you need to know that my Father's just as grace-filled. If you've seen me heal, then you know that I'm healing because the Father wants people healed. And if you hear me talk about salvation, it's because the Father has offered you salvation. And we do it even today. We see God the Father as this distant, perpetually grumpy, angry man who's much cooler, younger son. Never gets mad at anybody, man. And he's so chill to hang out with. And he's like, Dad, Dad, cool down, bro. You don't know these people like I do. It's okay, I'll talk to him. Jesus says, I am him and he is me. We know, like you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Number two is this. We know what was important to Jesus because he used his words to offer us true friendship with God. What good is it to know so much about someone you can't get close to? Before Jesus began his mission on earth, there was a great chasm, a divide between God and man. And the idea that anyone could have anything to do with God personally, any kind of relationship at all, any kind of intimacy with God at all, any kind of friendship with God at all was absolutely absurd. God was a distant presence kept from them. And only those who lived the most righteous of lives could even approach the presence of God. And a passage in the Bible that we use so casually today and we approach uh, so casually with not only the reading of it, really, but the receiving of it. Imagine being on a hillside somewhere or being in a home somewhere or being in a conversation with Jesus when he begins to talk about God in a way that you've never heard God talk about, talked about before and you hear about the love that God has for you. And this is almost as if someone's speaking a completely foreign language. But here's Jesus speaking not about irreparable sin and not about the pain that they've caused God, but the love that God has. He said, this is how much God loved the world. This is how much God loves you that he gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. They'd never heard this before. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. Isn't that the terrible, nasty tone of Christianity today? As we've become the messenger of how bad the world is, we get it wrong when we do that. Oh, we've got to stand up to sin. 
I will tell you that you have plenty of work to do in your own life before you start cleaning up the world. And I'll go even further. God doesn't need your help. He sent the Holy Spirit to draw men unto him. He doesn't need obnoxious jerks to do it for him. So if you believe that Christianity empowers you to beat up a sinning world, step aside, go join a cult, go do something else. We don't need you on the team. That was for free. You don't even need to pay for that. He came to help to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him, anyone who trusts in him, anyone who trusts in him is acquitted, but anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without even knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one of a kind son of God when introduced to him. It's not sin that distances us from God. It's not our failure to be righteous that distances us from God. It's our failure to accept the son of God and what he came to do. Jesus says it again in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost, not to seek and destroy, not to seek and condemn, not to seek and chastise, not to seek and make feel guilty, but to seek and save those who are lost. In John, 3, or John 6, 38 through 40, he again establishes his whole purpose for being there. I've come, and you think, man, this is a lot of scripture. Remember, we're talking about the words of Jesus, so I had to shove some of those into the message. <laughs> I've come down from heaven not to pursue my own agenda. And you think, oh, wait, what does that mean? I'll tell you in just a second. But to do what he desires, he, the Father. I am here on behalf of the Father who sent me. He sent me to care for all he has given me so that nothing and no one will perish. That's the plan of God, that nobody perishes. In the end, on the last day, he wants, he wants everything to be resurrected into new life. So if you want to know the will of the Father, if you've ever wanted to know what's God's will, here it is. Everyone sees the Son and believes in him will live eternally. And on the last day, when I am the one, and on the last day, I am the one who will resurrect him. Here's what the will of God is, that every single person finds a relationship with Jesus Christ so they can be resurrected into a relationship with God for all of eternity. And you say, well, wait a second, that's not the will of Jesus. Remember what the price tag was for this plan to be executed, that Jesus would have to be arrested, tortured, and murdered for the sins of the world as the final pure sacrifice. Because up till then, there would be these routine sacrifices made. They would kill the, the, the most perfect of the sheep or the most perfect of the cattle. They would take the flawless animal, as flawless as an animal could be, and they would spill its blood. There would be a price tag for their disobedience. And God said, no more. One final sacrifice. So Jesus said, trust me, if there was another way to do this, that would be my will. And then third and finally is this. We know it was important in Jesus because he used his words to show us a different, a different and better way. Now, here's the part today that we have the hardest part wrapping our minds around. To hear the words of Jesus requires only that you decide what you're going to do with them. 
you either just ignore them or you pursue them and investigate them on some level. So if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ and somebody suckered you into church because they were going to buy you lunch or something, and you're hearing this, you don't have to pass a test on the way out to get out of the room. As a matter of fact, God's not going to make you do anything with this. You will either ignore what Jesus said or you will decide to pursue it even further. But upon investigating them, you're going to have to decide whether you're going to reject his words or accept them as truth because they cannot be anything other than that. You can't say that this is true and that's not. Either Jesus was the truth, the way and the life, or he's not and you have to... You have to decide what Jesus is. And now, listen, once you decide to accept Jesus as truth, then you have to be transformed by that because you cannot hear truth which calls you to change, to be like him, to say, I created you in a way and called you to do a thing. And then you just stand and go, I accept you as truth. I believe you are truth, but I will do nothing about that. I will not let you shape my decisions. I will not let you influence my mind, my beliefs, my words, my thoughts, or my behaviors. I will go completely unchanged, though I believe you are the one true son of God and you spoke truth. If you accept the words of Jesus Christ as truth, it has to transform you. Has to. You don't have a choice. And that puts the onus of changing the way you do things, changing the way you say things, changing the way you prioritize your life to make it line up with what Jesus said. This week, I, um, we're going to have some new, very cool digital banners in the hallway. Um, and I was putting these really complex, weird stands together. And they include instructions. And they point to screws and say, this screw goes here. Can I tell you in my earlier, crazier days that I rarely used those? Because it was the man trying to keep me down, not letting me express my creative flow. I'd always have parts left over, which was amazing in case I needed those for something else. So I can reject that and then live with the broken, incomplete product that comes from doing things my own way. Or I can accept those as truth and not question the motive of the writer. They want me to build it correctly. It's why they gave me the instructions. And it's only my pridefulness, stupidity, stubbornness that would keep me from following those instructions. And when Jesus spoke, he gave to us what was important. The Bible says if we had recorded everything that Jesus had done and said, that there would not be enough books to contain all of it. So I have to believe that what we were left with was what we needed to know. There's a lot of things I can't answer for you. What, what, what about this? And why, why didn't this? And why doesn't God address this? And I don't have the answers. And anybody pretends to is 
honestly just blowing hot air because we know that God didn't provide us with everything, but God provided us with everything we needed in order to do what we needed to do for our own lives and for those around us. Matthew 16, 24 says this, and I'm going to just, um, uh, Brooklyn, I'm going to be like jamming through these. Get your finger ready, all right? Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, you can't do it your way and do it my way. You have to decide who will lead your life. In Luke 12, 49 through 53, it says this, this is serious business we're involved in. Jesus needed us to know that there was going to be a breaking point in our life in which things would begin to change dramatically if we became a Christ follower. My mission is to send a purging fire on earth. Other translations say set the world on fire. I'm a bit of a pyro, so I appreciate that part about Jesus. In fact, I can hardly wait to see the smoke rising. I have a kind of baptism that I must go through and I can't relax until my mission is accomplished. Do you think I've come here with a nice little message of peace? No way. Believe me, my message will divide. It will divide a house of five into three against two or two against three. It'll divide father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. If you think that sounds radical and militant and combative, it is. The war is not with those people. The war is not within your home. The war is within yourself. That at some point, the way you live your life is going to diverge from the way other people live their lives. Those that follow their impulse, those that follow their flesh, their lives aren't going to look like your life is going to look. And at some point, those two worlds are going to collide to the degree that you have to step away from that. There's going to be division. There's going to be judgment on you because you've decided to follow the path of Christ. It's going to be hard, but I want you to look at what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Again, it doesn't put us into this arena of being this obnoxious people on social media who keep wagging our finger and clutching our pearls at how offensive everybody's behavior is. But listen to what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be your leader must be your servant. This is how he's teaching them that this is what following me looks like. Whoever wants to be first must serve the rest of you like a slave. These are not attractive terms. Follow my example, even the son of man, which means essentially it's another way of saying Messiah, a, a human born version of God. Man did not come for people to serve him. Even I didn't come for people to serve me. He came to serve others and give his life to save many people. Jesus says, I came for this purpose, not to establish myself above you, but put myself at the feet of you. 
Jesus sits and he washes the feet of his disciples as others look on. And this is almost upsetting the disciples. It's, it's weird for them. They are following him. He is elevated above them. And they're uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus would touch their feet like slaves and servants would do. From the weary travelers that would walk in and their sandals were caked with the dirt and the clay of the road that they had traveled on. And they would patiently wash all of that off and dry the feet. For a servant, you could continue eating and talking and ignore them. But when your master, your teacher, the one you believe is the very son of God in flesh, when he's doing it, you can't continue a conversation. You can't continue to eat. You must focus on what's happening. And it unnerved them. And John 13, 13 through 6 says this. You call me teacher and Lord, and truly that is who I am. You're right about that. I want you to let that stick in your head. He said, so if your Lord and teacher washes your feet, then you should wash one another's feet. If I did it for you and your job is to follow my example, then you should be doing this one for another. I am your example. Keep doing what I do. I tell you the truth, a servant is not greater than the master. You don't get to make the decisions about what you do and don't do. Those who are sent are not greater than the one who sends them. Jesus said, you don't get to choose. If you're my follower, my instruction to you, my example to you is to serve one another in humility. The Bible said the world will know us as followers of Christ because of our love for people. Not because of the stand we take on a political issue. Not because of where we stand on gender and bathrooms and anything like that. That's not how the world will know that we're followers of Christ. That's how they'll know we're judgmental and condemning and that we love the law. They'll know us because we get at the feet of those that we might even despise and we wash them because that's what our master and our teacher does. Because that's what he taught us to do. And then I'll end here in John 4, 15 through 17. He says this, if you love me, if you claim to love me at all, you will obey my commands. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That word's paraclete in the Greek. And it means this, a comforter or a counselor or a helper. It has diverse meaning that the Holy Spirit will be to us what we need him to be to us, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it does not see him or know him, but you do know him because he lives with you and he will be in you always. Many of us think that it would be much easier to be a Christ follower if we stood next to Jesus as he walked the earth and he performed his miracles and he taught the thousands. Interestingly though, Judas betrayed him and followed him from the beginning. Peter denied him and he was one of his closest, most intimate followers. Every one of the disciples struggled to accept Jesus for who he was and especially accept Jesus, what Jesus said for what he said. They would sit down and they'd go, Master, explain this to us. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus would say, oh my gosh, you're so thick sometimes. Not thick in the way the kids say it now, like you like to be thick, like, but thick. Anyway, those under 20 understood what I was saying, I guess. 
You and I have to decide whether we want to be the version of Jesus that got taught to us through culture and community at churches and through religious leaders who want to still use Jesus to control and beat up. But I want to tell you that Jesus's whole purpose was liberty and freedom. It was to set us free from seeing God as this dark overlord who wants to just crush us, but he's being held back by this kinder version of himself, Jesus. And that is not what Jesus said God is. He said, you've done it your way. That's called sin. You just keep choosing your way and you keep messing things up more and more and you keep moving further and further from the plan that God had for you. I created you for a better life and your sin moves you further from that, yet you're mad at God for that. And I'm telling you, God loves you and wants you to be saved and wants you to be in relationship with him. So whatever you've believed about him before, I want you to listen to me now. My words describe who God is and what God wants and who you're supposed to be. We're going to talk about next week what Jesus said that you and I are supposed to do with our lives. But I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you will, and just settle in your heart for a second that you've heard Jesus's words. Take all of mine out. Take everything I've said out and just focus on his words. You've heard them and now you can ignore them or you can pursue them. And if you pursue them, then you have to reject or accept. There's no in-between. And I'm not telling you that that journey has to be done in this moment. I'm just telling you that at some point you're going to have to accept Jesus as truth or reject him as a fraud. But if you accept him, then you have to, and I think that many of us are in that position, then you have to let his words shape you as the Christ follower you claim to be. Are you a Christ follower? If you are, you have to know the heart and the mind of Jesus. And the way to know that is through what he said. Just read the red. Just the red. And you'll know who Jesus is and you'll know who his father is and you'll know his plan for you. You know the will of God for your life. You'll know how you're supposed to treat people and how you're supposed to prioritize things because Jesus covered everything important that needed to be covered. I want to ask this really quick. If you are not yet a Christ follower and you say, I want to begin that journey today. I don't have all the answers and I don't know them like I want to know them, but I do want to say yes and begin the journey of following him. If that's you, you can just slip your hand up and put it back down. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to uncover you. There's no other shoe that's going to drop. You're just saying, yes, I want to begin that journey. And you can start it right there. Jesus went all the way to the cross for you, right? He, he doesn't mind meeting you at your seat. My next question is this. If you'd say, I'm going to be 100% honest I don't know that I know the words of Jesus. I mean, not intimately, not truly. Of course, I've heard them and I've read them at different times, but I don't know the words of Jesus. I, I want to be like Eli and I want to memorize what my creator said about me and to me 
and the plan he has for me. And I want to fall in love with the red words of Jesus. If that's you, would you just throw a hand up? God, you see our hearts and you see our willingness and you see our readiness. And now honor that with some sort of uh, uh, breath of blessing on us as we go into your word. Holy Spirit, we pray for you to ignite in us something that's grown cold and dormant, the embers that have grown gray and cold, reignite that passion for the word of God, reignite our love for Jesus, reignite our hunger to be inside of those words, to, to, to consume them, ingest them, and let them feed us like we've never read the word before. But give us a passion and a love for the words of Jesus Christ above all else. And we believe for it. We receive it. We call on you, Holy Spirit, to help us because we need your help. We need you to be that helper. And you will be. You are a gift from God to be present in our lives. And we thank you for growth this week because of change we made today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. God bless you guys.